And now for something completely different. Inconceivable! Maybe there's a compromise here, then. There's always a compromise. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today we're talking about some things that kind of came up during this stream last week, the Twitch stream. We always have interesting conversations while I'm streaming on Twitch. And this is inspired by some of the things we talked about then. The specific topic was telephone calls and how when we were kids, not only did we know all the telephone numbers, we had them all memorized, but there was a process of calling your friends, calling people for a date. There was just things that you had to do, that you had to be used to, that you don't even have to worry about anymore. Everybody has a cell phone now, so you never have to call anybody's house. All the kids have phones, all the parents have phones, everybody's got their own number. So the way we communicate and the way we interact with each other has changed over the years. And I'm going to talk a little more about that in just a minute. But that topic got me thinking about other things that we used to do, rules of society that we used to live by, things that we used to do just as a general practice, views that we had, ideas that were just the norm that either no longer are or have evolved over the years. So we're going to talk about that too. But the phone thing really got me thinking because I remember how awkward it was at times to call people on the phone. Because if you were a little kid and you wanted to talk to your friend, either you wanted to get the homework assignment that you missed, or you wanted to get together to go outside, or whatever it was, if you were calling somebody's house, you were calling the house. And I've explained, every house had its own phone, usually only one extension, usually in the kitchen. As people figured out how they could add extensions to their phones, they did so, so you'd get an extension in the bedroom, maybe one in the living room, maybe one in the basement, but they all had the same number. If you dialed Joey's family phone, you got Joey's house, and whoever was there would pick up. Now, some families had rules. The kids couldn't answer the phone. Only the parents could answer the phone. That wasn't the rule in our house. Anybody could answer the phone, and we would often run for the phone to get there first. Because we figured, well, it's for me. It's Jimmy calling. It's Vinny calling. It's Ray calling. But whoever was calling the Gamer Dude family home, they would have to deal with whoever answered the phone. And that was the same if I was calling Vinny. If I was calling Vinny to get together, his mom might answer the phone. Oh, hello, Mrs. Vinny. Yeah, I want to talk to Vinny. Is he there? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Yes, my mom is fine. Yes, everybody's fine. Oh, Vinny's not there? Okay, would you tell him that I called, please? And then that would be the conversation. Or maybe Vinny couldn't come to the phone. He was doing his homework. Or he was out mowing the lawn. Or whatever it was. Then you'd leave a message and hope that Mrs. Vinny would give it to him. And it would be the same thing when Vinny would call back. If I was unable to get to the phone first, if my sister picked up or if my mother picked up, Vinny would have to go through the same thing that I went through with his mom. And I'd hear from my end, my mother answering the phone. Hello? Oh, hello, Vinny. How's your mother? I don't know why it is that the parents always wanted to know how the other parents were doing. Why don't you just call them? But that's beside the point. Oh, gamer dude, he's right here. And then my mom would call me over. And then we could have our conversation. But that was the process. There was no direct contact between Vinny and me unless we were lucky enough to actually answer the phone when the other one was calling. Otherwise, you had to go through the filter of the family. That's just the way it was. That's how it worked. I guess that's not necessarily a bad thing. It taught us how to have a semi-polite, semi-civil conversation with basically a strange adult. Because I didn't know Mrs. Vinny. What the hell do I know? She's Vinny's mom. But I learned to be polite. I learned to be respectful. If I wanted to talk to Vinny on the phone, I had to get through Mrs. Vinny. 
Now, the dating phone calls were even worse. I've mentioned this before. I didn't have a great dating life in middle school, in high school. I had virtually no dating life. There was a couple of girls that I liked. There was a couple of girls that I went on a date with. But it was so awkward. It was so painful. I mentioned my eighth grade sweetheart. I say sweetheart. I mean, was she a sweetheart? She was a girl that I liked. I was in eighth grade. In eighth grade, what are you, 12, 13 years old? She was really cute. She was in the band. I remember her so clearly. I really liked her. She was a drummer. She was one of those girls that I just made goo-goo eyes over. I just went, ah, every time I saw her. So, of course, I wanted to go out with her. But in eighth grade, I was still the fat kid. I was still the kid who was too smart. I was still the kid that really was a social outcast. But that didn't stop me from wanting to go out on a date with a cute girl. But to do that, you had to call her up and ask her. And back in those days, my mom had all kinds of rules, which went back to her days in high school, which were obviously 20 or 30 years old. But the rules involved giving her a week's notice. I couldn't ask her out for tomorrow. I had to ask her out for next Friday. I had to ask her out. She couldn't ask me out. I had to plan things. I didn't ask her what she wanted to do. I had to have a plan. And so when I had all that mapped out, then I could call her up and ask her. But in eighth grade, I wasn't driving myself anywhere. So the date was going to be basically with my family. Here's what the plan was. We were both in band. There was the spring concert. My dad was going to take everybody out for ice cream after the spring concert. So my mom said, why don't you ask her to go with us? We could take her with us to go get ice cream. And when you're 12 years old and you can't drive, your options are limited. But at least they were letting me ask a girl out. And I was thinking, I'm sure it won't be terribly awkward having a girl that I like sitting there with my family eating ice cream. What could possibly be uncomfortable about that? But I remember gearing up for that phone call. Oh my God, what a pressure-packed time that was. Now, back then, you could look in the phone book and get somebody's phone number. But as I said, the phone number was for the family house. So if I was calling her up, there was every chance that I would get her parents. And God forbid I get her dad. Oh, my God. The girl that I like and I get her father. Oh, no. But you had no way of knowing who was going to answer the phone. So you just had to take your chances. You just had to have your little script ready. You had to muster up the strength, the will, the courage to make this phone call. And it was a psych-me-up process. I remember it. I remember having to get psyched up for this call because I was so scared. I don't know what I was scared of. I was 12 years old. What's the worst that could happen? She was going to say no. That's what my mom said. Well, the worst that can happen is she'll say no. Yeah, I know, mom, but I don't want her to. I just want this to go smoothly. Can't she just say yes? Can't I just have a guaranteed yes? Now, I was trying to remember who answered the phone when I called her house. It wasn't her. I can't remember if it was her mother or her father, but I remember I got a parent. And part of my script was, is Karen there? Yes, her name was actually Karen. Is Karen there? Yes, she is. Who's calling? Uh, it's Gamer Dude calling. Just a minute. And your heart is beating. Your heart is beating out of your little chest. But Karen got on the phone, and I remember asking her if she'd like to go to ice cream with us after the concert. I said my parents would take us, and we'd bring her home, drop her off at home after we ate ice cream. And she said yes. Oh my God, she said yes. But I remember when I made that call, I had asked my mom if I could use the phone in her bedroom for privacy. I had my little script out. I went through my little questions and she said yes. Now that's not to say that asking somebody out on a date these days is not as agonizing as it was back in the day, but it's a different process now. It's very different now. You've got direct messages, you've got texts, you could message somebody on Twitter, you can get a hold of somebody on Instagram or TikTok or any number of ways. 
You can be archaic and use email. I know, whoever thought email would be archaic. But you can talk to the person directly. You didn't have to gear up and talk to the family. You didn't have to gear up and pass through the gateway of mom or dad answering the phone, or heaven forbid, an older brother or sister. There was a built-in screening process for anybody who didn't want to take a call. Just have a sibling or a parent answer the phone, and you never had to talk to anybody. But that's what we had to do. We had to go through the family. There's other things like that that we just don't have to do anymore. Writing letters is one of those things. We hold on to some of the archaic things. I was talking about email a minute ago. We talk about email like it's old school now because of texts and DMs. No, no. What's archaic is actually writing a letter, putting pen to paper. Dear Betty, I hope this letter finds you well. I haven't heard from you since my last letter from six months ago, so I wanted to follow up. I mean, that's how letter writing used to work. You would write a letter, wait a few weeks, maybe even a few months, and then write another letter. We hold on to some of those formalities with our emails. Dear so-and-so, as per my previous email, I wanted to follow up because you haven't gotten back to me since yesterday. I mean, how many emails do you get like that? People want instant responses now. That's why texts and DMs have taken the place of email, because you can get an even more instant response than the 24-hour turnaround you'd expect with an email. But we do hold on to some of those archaic forms of writing in our emails. Texts are very informal. I've never received a text where anybody goes, Dear Gamer Dude, per my last text, it never works that way. But I used to get emails, especially at work, per my last email, or following up on my last email. Now I get that some of that is because of the profession that I had. When I would get work emails, a lot of emails that I would get were from lawyers. Being a lawyer myself, that explains it. And so you wanted to formalize what you were saying, even if you were saying it in an informal email. Because emails, from a legal perspective, are a lot less formal than a written letter. In a written letter, you put a lot of language in there to protect yourself. Following up on my letter of December 27th, as I said at that time, we will do A, B, and C if we don't hear from you by January 3rd. Having not heard from you, we've started to do A, B, and C. And so when you're sending an email, especially a legal email, you're going to frame it the same way. But people writing emails just to their friends would have a similar formal approach. Dear Kenny, following up on my email of last week, where the hell were you on Friday night? You said you'd be there, you weren't. What am I supposed to do with that? Oh yeah, there have been formal emails like that in my history. But the formalities of letter writing, which kind of transitioned into emails, is basically gone now. And it's gone now because we text everything. Or we DM everything. We slide into somebody's DMs. What's the commercial? That sounds like fun. We're going to slide into somebody's DMs now instead of write a formal letter. But you know what I mean. Something else that has become, I guess, less formal is the way we view each other. And here's what I mean by that. When I was first in the working world, after I graduated college, got my first jobs, people didn't have tattoos, generally. People didn't have piercings, generally. People didn't have unnaturally colored hair, let's put it that way, generally. Things like tattoos and piercings and hair coloring, there was basically a standard of clean-cut looks. No piercings, relatively well-kept hair. No visible tattoos. I mean, if you had a tattoo, you were either in a biker gang or in the military. That's basically where tattoos were when I first started hitting the working world. And all of these things had certain connotations to people. If you had a tattoo, you were in a gang if you weren't in the Marines. If you had a piercing, you were a punk rocker. If you had blue hair, you needed to be tested. 
If you had a shaved head, there was something wrong with you, or you had cancer. Those are the two options. But over the years, all of those things have changed. Society's view of those things has changed, and my personal views of those things has changed. Now, society in general, there are still people who look at tattoos and go, <laughs> what kind of person are you to have a tattoo like that? <laughs> what are those piercings? What's up with that blue hair? It's so blue, but it's different now. Basically, my attitude has evolved to, <laughs> I don't care. If it makes you happy, what the hell difference does it make to me? I mean, I'm not saying that if my neurosurgeon showed up with a tattoo across his face, I might have a reservation or two, but that's old school in the back of my head, not how I was brought up attitude. But you know what? What the hell difference does it make to me? But if you'd asked me when I was a kid if I ever would have had a piercing, <laughs> no. Piercings? A pierced ear, a pierced nose, a pierced anything? No. No, what sense does that make? Plus, it scared the hell out of me. Wait, they're going to pierce my ear? No, thank you. That's going to hurt. And then one day, somewhere in the early 90s, I decided, you know, a pierced ear would look pretty cool. And you know what? It did. Yes, I went and got an ear pierced. I only got the one pierced. Back in those early days of piercings, guys usually pierced just one ear. And yes, there was a whole thing. The left ear was if you're straight, the right ear is if you're gay. And don't ask me why. I don't know what the difference was. I just kind of knew this in the back of my head. I picked it up on the street somewhere. I don't know. I just knew that if I was going to get a piercing, it would be the left ear. And that's the one that I got pierced. Went to a mall. Went to one of those jewelry shops. I asked the girl behind the counter, is this going to hurt? And she laughed at me and then pierced my ear. And I actually loved it. I loved the pierced ear. I loved the different things that I could do with it. I didn't actually have a diamond stud, but I had a cubic zirconia stud because it was cheap. A little gold stud, a little lightning bolt, a little pirate hoop. I had it all. Yes, I liked my jewelry in my ear. Did my dad? No. Did my mom? Uh-uh. But I thought it was kind of cool. Now, when I worked in the prosecutor's office, the prosecutor that I work for also liked my piercing. And I could wear my piercing to court. I was one of those few rebel attorneys with a pierced ear. That actually was part of my persona, the rebel attorney with a pierced ear. I didn't wear my lightning bolt to court, but I did wear my cubic zirconia. And I tell you, I looked damn good with it. But I also remember when I was moving from that job and interviewing at a law firm, I knew enough to take the earring out for the job interview. How did I know this? It was just a feeling that I had that I was going to a law firm, so I should probably not wear the earring for the interview. And so I didn't. And I got the job. After I got the job, when I showed up for work, I showed up wearing my earring. I went to lunch with the boss that first day, and he questioned me on my inappropriate jewelry. Yes, he did. He said, I don't remember you wearing that during the interview. And I said, well, to be honest, sir, I didn't wear it during the interview. Well, I don't think it's appropriate to wear around the office. Okay, then. And so I didn't. He made it clear that, in his mind, my one pierced ear with my little cubic zirconia was inappropriate jewelry. Now, is this a fight that I wanted to have when I had a decent job at a place that was paying me substantially more than I'd been making before? It was not. Did I miss my earring at work? Yes, I did. Did it matter that much to me at the time? It did not. Now, as a result of that job, I did stop wearing an earring regularly. I did occasionally wear it on the weekends, but it became too much of a hassle. Putting it in, remembering to take it out. But that's the change that I'm talking about. Back in the 90s, it was still controversial for grown-ass men to wear jewelry to work, especially earrings and pierced ears. 
It just wasn't done. It wasn't the way the world was. I've actually thought of going back to get my ear re-pierced. I haven't yet. But if you've seen me on Twitch, you see that I wear jewelry all the time. Jewelry that I never used to wear. I wear rings. I have four rings, at least four rings that I wear all of the time. I have bracelets on each wrist. My watch is actually not on a watch band. It's on a watch brace. Remember the old school 70s leather straps that they were huge on your wrist and that you'd put a watch on? Yeah, that's what I have. And then I have all different kinds of bracelets, metal bracelets and bangles and beads and all kinds of stuff that I wear on my right wrist. Why? Because I like it. It looks cool to me. I enjoy it. I have a wide variety of things that I put on my wrists and I like it. What does it say about me? It says I like jewelry. And that's all it says. And that's why I don't care what anybody else wears. Because I like my stuff. You like your stuff. If my stuff isn't bothering you, what the hell difference does it make to you? Same with you. If your stuff doesn't hurt me, what the hell difference does it make to me what you wear? The same goes for colored hair, blue hair, red hair, green hair, yellow hair, rainbow hair, whatever. I don't have any hair. I've told this story before. When I realized my hairline was receding and there was nothing I could do about it, I just decided to take matters into my own hands and shave my head. That was about 17 years ago, and I haven't ever regretted it. I decided to shave my head. You may decide to dye your hair blue or yellow or purple or whatever. Again, what the hell difference does it make to me? You like purple hair? Cool. The only time it'll make a difference to me is if I'm at a restaurant, you're working behind the counter, and I have a purple hair in my soup. Then it's going to matter. Other than that, I don't care. And you know what? It's the same with tattoos. Tattoos are a very personal thing. Now, my kids have asked me, why don't you get a tattoo? Well, I don't want a tattoo. There's nothing that I like so much that I want it permanently engraved on my body. But that's me. If you want something on your body that's there forever, that's fine. You can have it. If you're a Star Trek fan, if you're a Star Wars fan, if you're a Marvel fan, you want to put your heroes on your body, that's fine. Go ahead. You like spiders? Fine. I like spiders. I'll get a spider bracelet. I'll get a spider hat. I don't necessarily need a spider tattoo, but that's my choice. You're free to make yours. One of my favorite tattoo stories is my oldest son. He was having a rough time with a girl that he was dating several years ago. And they were broken up. They were together. They were not together. Typical teenage romance. And at one point, he thought it would be a great idea to have the word loyalty tattooed across his stomach. And I'm not talking a little tattoo. I'm not talking a 12-point font. I'm talking a font that's about a 72-point font. I mean, these letters were probably six inches tall. Old English letters, all caps, loyalty. I guess it was his message that his girl was not being loyal to him. So he wanted to show how important loyalty was to him by having the word tattooed across his stomach. I mean, I can tell you that's not my solution. That's not how I get the word on loyalty out there, but that's what he wanted to do. And it's his body, whatever. I wasn't paying for it. You want to drop $400 on a word loyalty across your stomach? That's fine. Go for it. I mean, that always kind of struck me as a little odd because you're tattooing it across your stomach. So when you look down, you're looking down and you're reading the word loyalty upside down. And if you look at it in the mirror, it's going to be backwards. So I'm not sure why that's serving the purpose you think it's serving. But okay, he wanted the word loyalty. Go for it. But I couldn't help playing with him. I couldn't help myself. Being a dad, it's my job. I have to mess with my kids. It's what you do. It's in the job description and it's just what dads do. So he got the tattoo done. He had loyalty tattooed across his stomach. And of course, he had to come home and show us. So he lifted up his shirt and he showed the word loyalty across his stomach. And the first thing that popped in my head was just to mess with him a little. And I looked at the word and I read, hmm, loyalty. Your tattoo artist forgot to put the E in there. And he looked down and he said, what? 
And I said, yeah, the E in loyalty. It's T-E-Y. And he goes, what? And I kept my face as straight as I could for as long as I could because he was in a panic having spent $400 to have the word loyalty tattooed across his stomach. And then they misspelled it. I couldn't do that to the kid that long because he was in a panic. But I said, nah, I'm just messing with you. But the look on his face for those 30 seconds was absolutely priceless. It was worth every second. Dad. Yep, that's what I do. I'm a dad. That's what I do. There's lots of things that are different. We've talked about this many times on the podcast, and I have a whole list here. I have like three pages of stuff we didn't even get to today. The way things are at work, the way things are in retail, the way things are in offices, it's all changed over the years. It's been a slow evolution, a subtle evolution, and we'll talk about this more in the future. But I think it's because of the way society has changed. It's the way we view companies. It's the way we view corporations. It's changed our view and our attitudes towards these companies that we used to just deal with on an everyday basis because we had to, either as an employee or as a customer. Our views have changed and how we deal with things has changed. So we'll talk about that down the road. But that's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being here. As always, I appreciate your support. I appreciate you taking the time to listen. And I can't thank you enough for being here. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.